The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. sense, but in the godly sense, Lord, because they were called righteous by you. But Lord, we thank you for each one of them. May we learn not just how to apply it to our lives, but bring praise to your name as well. Give us wisdom now, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Well, if you do have your Bible this morning, we are in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, I will confess to you that uh, we are going to take a little bit longer on this chapter than I thought we would, and that's okay. There are so many names in this chapter, many of which, some of which you're familiar with, some of which you're not as familiar with. So let me just give you the lay of the land the next several weeks before we enter the holidays. If you have Hebrews 11 open, you can even follow, and I'll show you the sections where we'll be. This is, of course, always on our website, but you can look at this up, look this up with me. Today we're in verses four to six, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the uh, biblical characters of Cain, Abel, and Enoch. Next week, we'll be in verse 7, which is Noah. Noah himself, the guy who had the flood of the world, gets only one verse, but it summarizes his life and ministry so well. That'll be next week. In two weeks, we'll be with Abraham in verses 8 all the way down uh, to roughly verse 12 or 13. Then on December 4th, part of his internship, Ben Van Holstein will be preaching for us, and he'll be preaching verses 13 through 16. December 11th, we will be preaching uh, verses uh, 17 down through about verse uh, 19. And then after that, we'll be in the holidays. So you can see, we are covering a lot of ground. So in about five sermons, we're going to cover about 500 years of ancient history. Are, are you excited? I hope that you are. Uh, when we last uh, slowed down for a series like this, it was in the springtime of March 2017, and we went through the 12 disciples, and that was a study in and of itself. So we are going to slow down a little bit, but I pray that you are, you, I pray it's useful to you. I pray it blesses you. I pray it brings glory to God as he does. If you're able to stand this morning, if you're visiting, we do this in honor of God's word. If you're able, if you're not, it's okay. If you're able to this morning, would you join us in standing as we read, actually starting in verse 1 down to verse 6 as we look at verses 1 to 6. And I love, and I mean this in a good way, I love hearing the chorus of our babies and toddlers because they kind of communicate to each other, and it's fun because we know they're talking, but no one can understand them but themselves, and that's a fun language. I love the kids in service. If you're visiting with us, we're so grateful you're here too. Kids, we're glad you're here. Thank you for being here because this is what life is really all about, is about knowing our Lord. Parents, thank you, and thank you for your patience for those sitting around, those with kids or grandkids. We know they get wiggly, but we all get wiggly, don't we? It's okay. Got all to God's glory. Thank you so much. Let's read together. Hebrews 11, 1 to 6. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. But by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, verse 4, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he com was commended as righteous, or proved as righteous, and God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up, so he should not see death. And he was not found, because God had taken him. 
Now, before he was taken, he was commended as being pleased, having pleased God. And verse 6, and you know this verse well, you might have it underlined. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must also believe he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. These are familiar verses, maybe familiar people, but I'm going to ask you to open it with unfamiliar eyes as we look at what God has to say to us today. Let's pray together, and we'll get in our study from there. Lord, thank you for Abel. Thank you for Cain. Thank you for Enoch. Father, we don't, as we often do in these character studies, these are real people that really lived, but Lord, we don't want to just be like Abel. We don't just want to be like Cain, or not like Cain, perhaps, or like Enoch. We want to be ultimately like the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, even Paul himself said, follow me as I follow Christ. So we remember that you put up little blips of, of light in dark places at times. And we want to see them as they are, the good, the bad, the ugly, but ultimately their faith placed in you that you gave them and sustained within them all by grace through your spirit. Father, we love you. We pray this and, and we ask it truly to the honor of your name. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we come to this time, we, we, this is actually the second part. And if you're taking notes today, you'll notice on the inside that you have the headings from last week and some of the fill-in-the-blanks, if you will, for this week. But, you know, there are many imposters to the faith today. One of them is the positive thinking movement. And the positive thinking movement says that where you can basically, if you think it's so, it can become so. Wouldn't that be nice? I, I am a runner. You know that. I love pizza. If I could think of pizza and imagine a pizza and poof, a pizza pops out, boy, that would be great. It doesn't work that way. It's nothing more than faith in yourself that you can well up within you something about it. It's like that young boy who was talking to his dad and said, Dad, tomorrow I have a test. And he goes, Dad, I don't think I, I'm going to fail it tomorrow. And his dad looked at him and said, son, we can't talk like that in our house. That's not positive. you got to positively think that you can pass this test. I want to hear something positive from you. So the young man said, okay, dad, I'm absolutely positive I'm going to fail the test tomorrow. The other part of spiritual thinking about faith is that some people have goosebumps. You go to a conference, you go to a worship service, and you get those warm, fuzzy feelings. You might feel warm and fuzzy with your sweater on today, but it's not the type of feeling. The problem is, is that it gets people thinking that every time they feel warm and fuzzy, that God is near. When it's really just their heated blanket, they waited around themselves. The reality is, if our Christian life could be lived by feelings, we're all in trouble because you're hot one day and cold the next. Then there's a the prosperity gospel that some people say they picture God, frankly, as a heavenly bellhop. You know what a bellhop is, right? You ring a bell and they come to, to room service. Do you, does anyone ever do room service anymore? Because you've got to tip them like more than that cost of the actual food or something like that. But a heavenly bellhop. And if you can think it, you can claim it, you can blab it, you can grab it. And But here's the thing. You can't claim anything until God names it. And just because you confess it doesn't mean you possess it. And just because you claim it doesn't mean you can get it. Those are false views of faith. So what is biblical faith? Faith is always walking in response to God's word. If God says it in here, faith is living out what he says. If faith is not something that's not said in this book, the Bible, it's probably not something you ought to pursue. This is why 1 Chronicles 16.11, as Amy puts this up, reminds us, it says, Seek the Lord and his strength and his presence continually. Because putting our faith in Christ is about not trying harder. It's transferring our trust from ourselves and putting it wholly on him. It's trusting Jesus is, is not some leap of faith. It's, it, it's falling into the rescuing arms of one who can hold you at all times. 
Faith is trusting that when the future comes, our Father will be there with exactly what we need when we need it. And that is our big idea today, is that faith honors God, and God honors faith. So walk by faith, live by faith, and witness by faith. And that's exactly what these men of old did. But the Christian faith is not a negotiation, it is a surrender. It is giving to God and and basically saying, God, you know, have you ever been by someone who's been on a roller coaster or an airplane and they go like this? Or you get to the top of a water slide and there's someone who's holding up the line because they thought they could do it and they got up there and they can't go back down unless they go down. And they're white knuckling it like this. You know what? That's how many of us are with our lives. God, I got this. Leave me alone. And God has to pry our hands off and say, no, I got this. Leave me alone. And so it is. We are saved by faith apart from works, but we are called to live a faith that is pressing, pulling, and striving to make much about Jesus Christ. That's what faith is in a response to God's word. So this morning, we're going to continue what we did last week. We're looking at four characteristics of faith. We saw last week, and Amy, if you used to put that up on the screen, and we don't go through all the sub-points, we saw there was redemption. In verse 2, the men of old were commended for their faith. They trusted God. They were saved. Secondly, Amy, if you will, the next slide is that there was realization. Not only did God save them, but God created all things. And we said that God created everything from nothing. There, there wasn't some force outside of God that created you. There wasn't some primordial soup. I don't care what the public schools say. This is not a call to go to private school or homeschool, but just hear it clearly. You don't do your faith by watching the History Channel or Bill Nye the Science Guy. You go to God, who's on his throne, high and seated above, who said he made you uniquely, he made you personally, he made you powerfully, and he made you perfectly, just as he wanted you to be. And that's not something that most of our kids hear today. If you're struggling with who you are, you need to trust the God who made you and who is sustaining you. But today, number three, I want you to see first off, not only are those two things, the redemption and the realization, but also the reverence, the reverence. We were talking here about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. You know that first sibling rivalry? Because, you know, kids never fight today, right? They're always, they're always good. They always obey. They always obey what mom and dad say all the time. And especially grandma and grandpa. They always listen to grandma and grandpa. Well, you know as well as I do that Cain and Abel were not that way. We were not going to turn back there this morning. But you remember Cain and Abel, don't you? Abel and Cain were the first sons of Adam and Eve. Abel was the second son. Cain was the oldest. And, and Abel was the third on earth. And uh, Cain was a, a, a keeper of the fields. He was a farmer, if you will. Abel was a keeper of the flocks. He was a shepherd. But Abel died. Do you remember this? Abel was literally killed by his brother. I mean, there's, there, there's presumably at least four people on earth, Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. And then there's minus one because one of them got jealous of the other one. We'll get there. But have you noticed in your Bible here, why does he not list Adam or Eve? By faith, Adam or Eve. You ever thought about that before? He goes straight to Abel. Why did he skip over Adam? Isn't that a little uh, weird kind of, uh, why would you do that, writer of Hebrews? I think the reasons are many. But I think it's because Adam had already seen God save him. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, do you remember what they tried to do to themselves? You know, they tried to cover themselves up because they were ashamed and naked. And what did God do? He, he saved them. He killed an animal right there, and he covered them in, in the skins of the animal. So in a sense, they were not walking by faith because God provided everything for them. 
The big question is, will Adam and Eve be in heaven? I have no idea, but I'd like to really think so. But what we have, first off, the first human he mentions, really, by name, is Abel. And it is a faith that comes, first off, with reverence. And he talks about this in verse 4. And it talks about with reverence. And you'll see, what does Abel teach us about faith? First, that faith approaches God with a proper sacrifice. Proper sacrifice. Notice verse 4. He said, God, he offered Abel, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. You know, we always come to God on his terms, don't we? We don't get to set the terms or we will be rejected. How, do we, how did he know what offering to make and bring? You ever think about that? You know, there's that old phrase, the atheists and agnostics like to throw out. Well, where did Cain get his wife? Or who was Cain's wife? We can chase that rabbit another day. It's an easy thing to answer. But here's a better question. How did Cain, or more specifically Abel, know what to sacrifice? Did you ever think about that before? How do you know? I mean, Cain's a worker of the fields. Abel's a worker of animals. How did Abel know that he had a better sacrifice than Cain? Well, I think it says at least three things. First, that God told them what was the proper sacrifice. God spoke to them. Remember, God walked with them in the garden, Adam and Eve. It also implies that God specified what kind of sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, an innocent animal. And it also implies that he told them, you must come by faith, by faith. So how do we know God spoke to them? We have a record of God speaking to Adam and Eve. But it says, by faith, Abel offered to God. By faith, Abel offered to God. Notice that it does not say by his works. It does not say by his brother's faith or his mama or daddy's faith. He himself came to God on God's terms. Faith is always man's right response to God's revealed word. If you know it with me, you can say it. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the word of Christ. So what we know is that God told him what to bring. And he brought it by faith, the right sacrifice. How many people today, when they come to God, want to come to God on their own terms? You ever heard that phrase before? God, if you meet me halfway, I'll do this, I'll do that. God, if you just, get, God, if you save me here, I'll come to church for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah. And that's worked out all the time. Contrary to what God required for the sacrifice, Cain brought something else. He brought his field. He brought the produce of the field. And Cain, in essence, brought what all false religions bring. He brought not a blood sacrifice. He brought himself. You know that every other world religion in this world is based upon you and not on Jesus Christ. They may use the same words. You talk to a good Mormon missionary, they'll use Jesus and sacrifice and atonement and resurrection, but man, they mean something else. And that is the truth. And what we know is that Jude 10 tells us that woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. Friends, if you're going to live a life of faith, you need to know that you cannot come to God on your own terms. And that includes after you come to Jesus Christ. The way of Cain is he came to God by his own achievement, but the way of God is that God says, you come with your heart given to me, not by what you bring. Sometimes as a Christian, you think that if you just do more things for God, God is going to love you more, bless you more, and he's going to answer your prayers more. That's a scary place to be. Because what happens when you can't work for God the way, like the way you used to because you get older or you get feebler or weaker? The point is, is we must come to God by his own terms. If you're here today, I speak to you. If you're here today, you're watching online, and you do not know Jesus Christ, 
You do not know if you died today, if you would go to heaven. You must come to God under his own terms, which he says, you must repent and believe the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. No more. Faith always brings a proper sacrifice. There's a reverence there, isn't there? There's a reverence there. But there's also faith comes from God and faith receives from God a true assurance. A true assurance. Notice the last part of that verse, verse 4. He says not only did he bring a sacrifice that was proper, he brought what God told them to bring. But Abel, end of verse 4, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. You know, one of the greatest struggles I think most Christians have today, if you're really honest with yourselves, is am I in? Do I have that special punch in my life that says I'm a Christian? Do I know for sure am I saved? I'm 100% sure I'm saved. I can share the gospel all day, but really do I know I'm saved? And many people can give approval to your faith, but really it's God only that matters. How many have walked into churches, and I've harped on this before and I'll harp on it again. That someday, some many years ago, God told them at a revival meeting or some Christian camp to write their names in the back of their Bible, the date and the time they went forward and came to Jesus. Because every time Satan comes after you, you've got to point him back to that date in their Bible. Satan doesn't care what date in the Bible you have. What he cares is, is whether or not you've truly come to Jesus. And Cain came with a faithless offering. But Abel came with an offering where he was commended as righteous. Do you have that in your Bible? You might have the word approved. Abel had a genuine, authentic faith. He was considered righteous. Righteous is a legal term that is used to show that everyone has been acquitted of all their sins. Imagine you were driving 100 miles an hour in a children's zone with the blinking school lights on, and the policeman pulled you over, and you said, why did you pull me over? I was just driving the speed limit. He said, you blew past seven cross guard, crosswalks. You about blew through a pile of kids. I should throw you in jail right now, and that's what I'm going to do. You go to jail. And when your court date comes and you plead your case, you say, oh, I was just distracted by my phone, blah, 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 blah. And the guy looks at you and says, you owe $10,000 or three years in jail. I don't have that money. And someone comes up and walks up and slaps down $10,000. And the judge looks at you and says, you can go free. I've paid your price. To be righteous is for someone to pay the penalty that you deserve. And for Cain and Abel, the difference was, for Abel specifically, was that someone called him righteous. God paid all of his debt because he brought the proper offering by faith. Genesis 4.4 4 says that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. God would have rejected him if he would have come on his own terms. Genesis 4.5 says that God had no regard for Cain and his offering. He rejected Cain because of his offering. Romans 8.16 reminds us that the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. 1 John 3.24 says that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if you've truly been saved like Abel was by faith? Well, assurance of salvation is an inside job. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 13 says, We abide in him and him in us because he has given us his spirit. How do you know if you're a Christian? You first off know because God has witnessed to your spirit that you're a son or daughter of God. Just like Abel came. He had a true assurance of faith. Well, pastor, can't you tell me if I'm a Christian? Maybe. 
we can go through the Bible and we can go through 1 John and point you to passages, but ultimately what I say is going to pale in comparison to what God is doing in your life. Are you walking in obedience to what God said? Do you have a new relationship with sin? Has God changed your heart in such a way that you now see him not just as some wicked judge as you did outside of Christ, but a loving father that even though you sin, he brings you back time and time again, and it's him alone that you're trusting? Those are the questions we'll ask. As a pastor, I have to be very, very careful declaring whether you are not saved or you are saved. It is not child's play. If you come to me and say, how do I know for sure that I'm saved? The first thing I'm going to do is point you back to the scriptures. And if you're struggling with that today, as most Christians, old and young do, 1 John, 1 John, Romans 8, Romans 8. Read it, pray it, study it. But if you've come by faith, even if you don't feel like you're a Christian at times, you know and trust that Jesus is your Savior, that's a great start to be. The most practical question, if you go to gotquestions.org, I used to write for them years ago when I was in seminary. I only say that to say it has not changed since 2006 as it has in 2022. You know what the, one of the top 10 questions is every single year they get asked to write about? How do I know for sure that I'm a Christian? You trust first off by faith. You have come to God with a proper sacrifice. You know Jesus. And second off, that you came with a true assurance that no matter what happens, no matter what the world tries to pull at you, you are his and he is yours. Notice thirdly that Abel came with a faith as God as a powerful witness. God as a powerful witness. That's the last little blank there. The end of verse four. He says, and through this faith, through his faith, though Abel died, he still speaks. Faith gives for God a powerful witness. You know, it is so true that Count von Zinzendorf, there's a name if you're looking for one, Count von Zinzendorf said, preach the gospel, love people, and die and be forgotten. That is a life well lived. But even after you're dead, may it be so that your faith goes on in your children and your grandchildren and those co-workers who asked at your funeral, why are you so different? And the pastor gets up and says, because he loved Jesus. And Abel's faith still goes forward because he trusted by faith in the one who could save him. It says he's now dead. We know he was killed. Cain rose up, Genesis 4, 8, and against Abel killed him and shed his blood. Cain's religion was too refined for an animal sacrifice, but he could do this to his own brother. So what is Cain saying? Cain, the wicked one, is saying that a sinful man or woman can only come into the presence of a holy God. Oh, Cain learned that quickly. And God sent forth his son that whoever, whether way back then or now, can trust and know they are saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. So friend, I ask you today, is your faith speaking of what you believe? Do people confuse you for something or someone else because of what God is doing in your life? Abel's faith went forward powerfully because he trusted in God alone to save him and to speak through him. That is the reverence that comes with knowing faith. The last major point of this I want you to see, number four, is the readiness of faith, the readiness of faith. I think for most of y'all, and I felt this way too studying this week, is that Enoch, or excuse me, Cain and Abel make sense. But Enoch, here is a weird guy that just went poof, and he's gone. Wouldn't you like to be Enoch some days? The Lord just took him away. Oh, Lord, this has been a week. Would you just Enoch me up to heaven really quickly, please? That would be great. But that's not what happens in life. 
The Bible records only two people who physically did not die, both with the name Enoch and, of course, Elijah. Elijah was taken up, we believe, in a, in a chariot of fire. You say, oh, that's just like Greek mythology stuff. That never happened. By faith, by faith, by faith. That is the calling card of God's people at all times. But who is Enoch? Who is this man? A few facts about him. He lived halfway between the fall of the flood, seven generations after Adam and seven before Noah, interestingly enough. His name means dedication. His name is, uh, and he's the father of Methuselah. I learned this in a high school song. Uh, Methuselah lived 900 and how many years? 69 years. Some of y'all are just approaching 69 and it feels like 900 years, amen? And that's how it goes. But you think your kids hang around a long time. Imagine being Methuselah with, with Enoch. They, he didn't start having kids until he was about 300 years old. Noah and him are the only ones that the Bible says walked with God, and he did so for over 300 years. The interesting thing about him is, is he, he really is in the knowledge of walking with God until he had children. Isn't that an interesting tidbit? Uh, marriage is a great sanctifier in God's Holy Spirit of your soul. Children are an extra cake layer that gets added on that really sanctify your soul. If you have kids, we love them, but you know what I mean, right? By God's grace. But he was a preacher of righteousness. We read that, and that's why we read the whole book of Jude, because it covers Cain, Abel, and Enoch. He was a preacher of righteousness. It says in the book of Jude that he issued a message of warning of God's judgment. He, he was a preacher of preachers. We don't know what he said except what's recorded in the book of Enoch. Now, let me be very clear. The book of Enoch is not in Holy Scripture, but it's quoted by Jude, the brother of Jesus, which makes, at least in part, that portion part of Holy Scripture. So what is about this guy that brings it to faith? I want you to see that he was ready. He had a readiness about him. His faith, first off, lived for another world. His faith lived for another world. Look at Hebrews 11.5. It says, I hope you have your Bible open. You can follow with us here, or your, your tablet, whatever you got. He says in verse 5 that by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and was not found because God had taken him. You notice the double emphasis there? Because you're thinking like these writers of Hebrew is thinking, did he really just die? No, it says it twice. He was what? He was taken up. I am not a huge Star Trek fan. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. But some of y'all are geeks in, in uh, church clothing today. And you know, this, 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 this harkens back to some like beam me up Scotty moment. So, I can tell by the laughter. You get what I'm saying. It's not what we're talking about here. He just was gone. He ceased to be. In a sense, kind of like Jesus went out of sight when he was ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1. He was just gone. But you notice, by faith, he was taken up. The reason God took him is probably because he stood out in a wicked generation. He stood out in a generation that was so far gone that God said, let me spare you the rest of your life on this pitiful earth. But notice it says by faith. This formula is the calling card. It wasn't by baptism or walking an aisle or a church membership. Romans 4 will tell us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness by what? By faith. Enoch lived for another world. How did God use him? By faith. He came way out of Abel. He came out of all the people who preceded him and Cain and all these people, but by faith he walked. You know, you may be the only person in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, perhaps even in your church, although I wouldn't say that here, but in some churches maybe, that you're the only one who's actually living according to what God asked you to do. And that's not a pat on your back. 
That's a combination of what God is doing in your life. But you notice it says he was taken up from the earth. It says it three times. It means one moment he was walking with God, the next moment he was out of here. He was taken up. It literally means to transfer, or change sides, or carry a cross. It quotes Genesis 5.24, which says he was not found because God took him up. What happened? Genesis 5 tells us that when he became a father, he became a believer. I don't know when many of you came to faith. I know most of you, but I think most of us came to faith when we were younger. But there are true stories that happen when the man of the household, when the father, whoever it is, the father of a child becomes uh, a father, he somehow wants to relive what his parents instilled within him. And though it may have been years since he had walked in a church or stood under the preaching of God's word that harkens back to all those lessons in their minds. But for Enoch, he walked with God after he became a father. Isn't it great to know that God can redeem years that were fruitless in your life? Isn't it grateful to know that as you walk by faith, as you have faith that lives for another world, God can erase everything that's behind and focus you on what's forward? Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they have not agreed? The point being is that God did not just join up in his life. God, Enoch did not just say, hey, God, take me out of here. He said, God looked at him and said, look, I'm in the driver's seat. You're in the passenger seat. Let's zoom out of here together. And they did. God took him. His spiritual life and God's were translated into heaven. They couldn't find him anywhere. Look, the call of God on your life is a marathon, not a sprint. Some of you look back on times in your Christian life and say, I wish I should have shared my faith there. I wish I would have lived my faith there. I wish I would have raised my kids more intentionally. And whatever. God can redeem your life if you're focused by faith on the next world. Guys, and we live in a culture that is very post-Christian. Do you know that? Everything in this culture right now is completely outside the bounds of what we usually believe in our lives. Some people will say, you know, I won't go to church because there's so many hypocrites there. And you look at them and say, oh, you went to Hy-Vee yesterday, though. Did you not buy groceries when you were there? Just because there are people around you does not mean you cannot live for Christ where you are. Jude 19 tells us he spoke the word of God. The Lord came, he said, with many thousands coming. He was a preacher of the second coming. And people need to know where you stand. Is your life being lived in such a way that you are focused here on what is uh, so around you every day? Or is there a glint in your life that you're focused forward in what God is bringing to bear? 1 John 2.15 reminds us, don't love the world or the things of the world, but the love of the Father is not in you. James 4.4 4 says, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? What you know, secondly, look back at your Bible, Hebrews 11.5. He not only had a faith for another world in readiness, he had a faith that had an internal, internal assurance. Abel had this, so does he. Look at the end of verse 5. He says, now before he was taken, he was commended by God as having pleased God. God, again, do you see this pattern over and over and over? If you are really in God's life, everything in your life comes back to him. Everything in your faith and your family goes back to him. How you do your taxes, how you do your job, how you raise your children, how you love your wife or your spouse, or how you live a life with no one else around you, is your life focused on God to that degree? They say you can know your priorities if you would open up your checkbook or your Venmo or your PayPal or whatever they use these days and trace how you live your life based upon on what you give and how you give to it. Or in these days, your calendar, what does it say about you? 
Most of y'all still have handwritten calendars, and that's okay, but whatever it is, what does your life say? Because he knew, Enoch knew that he was commended as having pleased God. Is your life pleasing to God today? Can I just be very devotional for a moment? Is your life pleasing to God? We don't know how God testified about him. He spoke it somewhere. He said, you're pleasing to me. You're right here with me. So just come on down with me. Let's get this over with. What a way to live. And really, what a way to live. That God would look at you and say, you, ding, 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 ding. You won the get to heaven first award. Come on down. What a way to live. Can I ask you this morning? And Amy, that's the second point. I apologize. This is the second sub point. Faith lives with internal assurance. You know, it's like that story of a kite being flown by a boy on a rather cloudy day, and his kite went up into the clouds and, and disappeared, and some old, stodgy, curmudgeon kind of guy walks up and says, Hey, boy, where's the kite of yours? Why are you holding on to that string there? And the boy, like any boy would do, because he looked up and said, Because my kite, it's up there. Oh, yeah? If your kite's really up there, why can't I see it? How do you know it's still there? And the little boy with only the, the words of a child looked at that old curmudgeonry, you know what I mean, grumpy old dude, and said, because, sir, I can feel it tugging on my hands. Friends, when we feel and sense the tugging of the Holy Spirit like Enoch did by faith, we know that we belong to him. It's an internal assurance. But finally, he lived a faith that was pleasing to God, a faith Last subpoint here, a faith that lives for God's pleasure. Would you look at verse 6 with me as we get ready to close? He says, speaking of Enoch, specifically in the context, but broadly of all those who come by faith, and without faith, it is impossible to please who? God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him or those who seek him. It's another general statement of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. You can never come to live your life for God unless you live by faith. For some of you, that may mean that you're trusting more of your income to God's ministry this next year. For some of you, that may mean that you trust that when you go share your faith with your family at Thanksgiving or Christmas time, that even though you're rejected by then, you're loved and accepted and commended by God. For some of you, that may mean that you pray more diligently for the salvation of your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, whomever it may be, believing that God will answer that prayer, answering it that they accept it or they reject it. But no matter what it is, you're growing in your faith because you're trusting him. He says that you must believe that God exists. Some of us walk into church, and Brother Willie, I thought of you because you drilled this into my head with the old dead guy. Some of us walk into church so often as practical atheists. Oh, God, you're great. God, you answer prayer. God, I believe in you, but I'm not sure you're really going to do it. God, you can't do that. God, yeah, yeah. it has been thousands of years, God, since you did something like that in this town around here. Why would I believe you now? Some Christians walk around with acknowledgement of God on their lips, but living their lives like atheists practically because they don't really believe that God does that. And that's not faith. That is the way of Cain. That's all about me. Because if I don't see it, I can't believe it. If I don't see it, I can't do it. So how do you live this way? 
We live trusting that God can do above and beyond what we can ask or think. We believe and trust that God can work in ways we cannot see. We believe that God can work in people that are so hard-hearted that they make Hitler look like a choir boy. But God can do it. And he tells them there that faith lives for God's pleasure. You want to please God? You must first draw near to God. Isn't it great that you can draw near to him? Do you draw near to God with your faith? Enoch did. All these by faith did. And we must believe two things. What? What are they? That he exists. He's connecting that back to verse 3. Don't miss that. By faith, we understand that God created the, the world by his word. You must believe that he exists. But not only that, that when you seek him, you will be rewarded. Or to put it in New Year's resolutions terms, when you go to the gym and you lose some weight, yeah, buddy, you can have that big piece of cake as a reward. Amen? But more so, God, I trust that everything I sacrifice here for you is worth it. Because God requires that you would declare your own spiritual bankruptcy before him. That you would weep and mourn over your sin. Depart from yourself and bow before him. But by faith, trust that he's the one who can save you. Christian, today, I just ask you a simple question. Is your faith institutionalized or is it a living faith? Is your faith just a routine or is it a reality? Is your faith real or is it just something you do because that's what everybody else did in your family? Real questions to ask. Amy, if you want to put up the next slide and just put all the bullets down, that would be great. What else do we learn from these people about faith that he was telling them, the writer of Hebrews? These are all a sermon in and of themselves. But first, don't mishandle the word of God. Don't mishandle the word of God. Cain was told a very specific way to bring a sacrifice, and he did it his own way anyway. Revelation tells us don't add any words to the prophecy of this book. We talked in Sunday school that the number one reason most false teaching happens is, is just what the old serpent says. Did God really say? And then you fill in the blank with whatever else you want to believe. Don't go there. I think you also learned from Cain and Abel that God really wants our best. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We're in between. Uh, I'm not sharing this to say pat us on the back or anything else. I've had to learn that in a hard way. There are some jobs around here we've had to fill a void in as we look for some for, uh, uh, custodial help. And uh, that's a verse I have to remind myself as I wipe poop off toilets around here once a week to the glory of God. And it's been a good, humble thing for me. Before you get out your checkbooks and say, what do we need to do? I'm not worried about that. I'm telling you a personal testimony. Wiping toilets has been a good thing for your pastor. So go dirty them up because I need the <laughs> humbling all I can get. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That woke you up, didn't it? <laughs> Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. They used to tell young seminary students that if you're unwilling to change a diaper, you don't need to be preaching in a pulpit. If you can't serve in the nursery before you get in the pulpit, don't get in the pulpit. I think that's so true. Whatever it is in your life, do your best for God. God also warns us and offers us an escape. What a great God that he is, that he reminds us that everything in our lives, there is an out. If you're watching today, if you're in the sound of my voice today, Abel and Cain remind us that God has given you a warning shot, that someday you're going to die. You're young now, you're strong now, you're in control of yourself now, but someday you won't be. Do you know him? Have you trusted in Christ? And I want you to also know that your worth is not determined by this world. 
that everything that you bring and offer and everything that is told about you and said about you is more pleasing to be pleasing to God than it is to be pleasing to the world, and that is what matters most. Nobody's going to care about all the accolades you get someday and all the people that patted you on the back if God is displeased with your faith when you step into eternity someday. And I want to remind you this morning, church, and I pray you see how Christ is connected here, Jesus' blood. Uh, Brian, I about had you do this, but nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not cultural issues, not social issues, not what is shoulda, couldas in the church. If we lose the focus on Christ's blood, everything else falls out. Last thing is this. What does Enoch teach us? Enoch teaches us, first off, that, well, first off, worship isn't about us. That's not on your slide. But can I say it again? Please, God, rather than men. Some of you had to do that this last Tuesday in a voting booth when you held your nose because you couldn't choose which one to vote for. Some of you have to please God rather than men when you choose to walk away from a situation of gossip at work or, or, or turmoil at work or something like that. Whatever it is, please God rather than men. Make yourself an example by God's grace not to pump up yourself but to handle what God is. And I want to remind you as Enoch preached that God will execute judgment. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, so it is in our lives. Some of you all carry hurts, church hurts perhaps, so deep and so intricate, so intimate that even sharing a part of it just brings back so much turmoil and thought and, and just hurricanes in your, your soul. I want you to know whatever hurts you have that God will make it right someday. And he will. And I want you to know that God's going to protect his own. If God can call out Enoch from a wicked world, as we read in the book of Jude, he who is glorious will hold you till the very end. All power, majesty, dominion, and might are his. And have you ever met a person who's so heavenly minded they're no earthly good here on this world? I think we're so earthly good that we're no, not heavenly minded, right? Friends, Colossians 3, 2 tells us to set our minds on things above because on well, Christ is seated up in the heavenlies. I want to remind you today, if people accuse you of being so heavenly minded, don't take that as a bad thing. Take that as a God-given stamp of approval of what you're doing. Now, if you're supposed to take out the trash husband and your wife says you're so heavenly minded, you might need to take up the trash every now and then, but you get the point. The point is, is your life, is your faith looking not just to this world, but filtering it through the one who sits on the throne in the world to come and who's coming again. That's how Cain didn't live. But that's how Abel and Enoch and next week Noah lived. Is that our faith this morning? Will you join me in prayer as we close out? Fathers, we come to you on this, this day to remind ourselves of people who have long since gone past, who have long since died by faith. We remind ourselves, Lord, that it's not about us. It's not about our 15 minutes of glory. It's not about our 15 minutes of fame. It's not about our 15 whatever. It really is all about you. Father, I, I do pray. I pray for our church as change is always afoot 
Things, people, organizations always change here and there. But Father, as we seek our future together, as we plan together in the days ahead, as our finance team puts things together, as our families look forward to the holidays in the coming weeks, and as we look towards goals, whether personal or work or family or whatever it is for 2023, Father, as we consider even in just this day, the last week of how we have or have not by faith sought to please you, would you just remind us that you're a loving and gracious God, that while we still sin in this world, your son's blood covers all of our sin. And Father, we are grateful that nothing we can do can ever separate us from your love, that whether we live by faith or don't, if we're truly in you, you will hold us into the end. But Father, we want to live a life that's pleasing to you. We want a church corporately that is pleasing to you. That's not something we can well up. It's not something that we can connive. But Father, it's something by your spirit you can form and fashion in us. For he who began a good work in us will see it done until the day of redemption. Father, this week, if there's anything we can pray for, just let us remind ourselves that just seeking to please you while we do daily life, when things break and things flood and things just don't work the way they should or when they do, may our eyes and our hearts point back to pleasing you. Father, forgive us if we've overcomplicated that simple mission of our lives to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as ourselves. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Jesus' blood and righteousness.